Well, g'day and welcome. Please feel free to take a seat. I can only hope right now that you are sitting underneath a fan on this lovely summer's night. Uh, we'd love to welcome you along. My name's Riley. I'm actually part of the leadership team here at Beyond. And if you've just ducked in tonight, you've actually joined us in part five of a five-part series called Unexpected Answers. And if you have been over the last couple of weeks or the last couple of months, or even if you haven't been, I'd love to catch you up to speed really quickly because we've been looking at the idea that in life there are these certain questions that we expect certain answers from. There's these certain questions that we expect certain answers from. We've looked at this idea that more often than not, these answers that we are looking for about the world or about ourselves, more often than not, they're actually answers that are right in front of us. If not that, sometimes the answers we're looking for are actually when we turn to the world looking for answers. Sometimes we turn to the world looking for some type of meaning in life. We look to things like money, look to things like relationships, our career, to actually give us some type of satisfaction in our time here. And as we kind of ventured through this idea, we fell back on this concept or or this idea that more often than not, when we're looking for this answer, we actually need to turn to a who. When we go about asking these questions, when we're looking for some type of meaning, we actually need to fall back to a who to fix our problems. So if you have been here over the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been journeying through this idea and we've come to this point where we've actually started looking at this who of Christianity. This guy known as Jesus. And maybe if you are a Christian, uh, that means something to you. Or maybe uh, if you're someone that's never stepped into a church before, if you just heard about this guy in Christian studies at school, if you have a mixed idea about him, we'd love to unpack with you tonight this who that we've been talking about. Because if you were here last week for part four, we touched on the fact that a lot of, a lot of people actually know about Jesus. Whether you believe in him or not. Whenever you hear his word pop up, Uh, his name pop up in a conversation. We can bring our own ideas about who we think he is. So as we kind of draw this series to a close, as we kind of land this plane, uh, I want to really quickly just unpack this idea with you through an illustration. And to do that, I want to bring you into the beautiful surroundings of the Mont Blanc Chamonix Swiss Franco Alps. As we venture into this journey, I want to tell you about something I experienced and something that I learned about who's last year on my trip to Europe. See, I ducked out uh, over to France for a little bit for a four-week trip, and in the last week, it was all building up to this one week where me and my mates would go snowboarding. And my mates are pretty good at snowboarding. This is my first crack, and I very quickly learned that as we pulled up in the bus in Chamonix, a lot of things about the snow. Firstly, that snow is actually just really, really cold water, uh, and when you land in snow on a snowboard, uh, it actually really hurts. And I found out that for myself as a snowboarder, that I'm actually not too bad at it. I'm not pretty terrible at it uh, because I'm actually pretty awful at snowboarding. I found out really quickly that snowboarding just wasn't the sport for me. Uh, Throughout the first three days or so when I got up on the snowboard, I was pretty much on my bum 24-7. I could not get up. I'd bomb every hill, try and toe turn, try and heel turn every time. would end up in the same place, on my butt. However, I'd look at my friends and they'd be zipping through. So I thought I'd start on the green slopes on day four and thought I'd give those kind of a crack. But very quickly, I realized that even the little Swiss, uh, little Swiss people, age five, skiing through, 
They were overlapping me every time. And not, over, not only overlapping me, they were laughing at me every time as well. And it wasn't until this day four that I realised that snowboarding was not the sport for me when I accidentally bumped into a guy and pushed him into a pole while he was going down a hill and the pole bent on a 45 degree angle and he used some very choice European words uh, to talk to me in that conversation. I don't know what the words were. I don't know Swissanese or Swedish. They don't do Swedish. As you can see, I had serious communication problems when I was over in my time in Europe. Things weren't looking great. However, as I got to the last two days of my trip, something clicked and I just started to get it. I just started to figure out how to do the toe turns really well. I started to figure out how to get the heel turns just right. And me and my mates, we started doing this one run that I could absolutely nail. 10 out of 10, I could get down to the bottom. We approached this absolute climax of our trip, the peak of the experience on the last day when I really wanted to make the most of our last run. So I thought I'd I'd give this run one last track and I'd bomb it with absolute speed. And when I got down the end, I'd treat myself to a nice little lasagna. See, for me, everything was starting to make sense in snowboarding and I wanted to treat myself to a nice little lasagna. Now, I took a ski lift up, I got to the top and I, I strapped on my boots When I strapped on my boots, I was feeling great. I was feeling really good, and everything just seemed... There was this absolute clarity in my head. Everything just seemed to fall into place. Everything I knew about snowboarding, everything just came to one thing, and I felt full confidence in being able to go down this hill. Even though a whiteout had just started, and it started getting really foggy, I couldn't actually see the end of the runs. I could kind of make out the the orange cones that ran along the slope so I knew where the run was. Even though there was a whiteout in front of me, I was still feeling pretty confident. So I got up for my last run. As I got up, I got up on my boots and I just started bombing the hill. And as I was bombing it, I, I saw this guy come out the corner of my eye. And it was actually the guy that I accidentally pushed into the pole. And this guy was a good snowboarder. So I thought I'd follow him. I thought my last run, I'll see how it go. He was a pro. If I can keep up with him, this is the pinnacle of my trip. I'm going to be feeling pretty good about myself and that lasagna is going to taste that much better. I started following him down the hill, and he was turning left, I would turn left, he'd go right, I'd turn right. He did a little jump, I'd do a little jump. And I was following him blindly in this white. I knew if I kept following him, I would get down to my lasagna. And as R. Kelly, I believe I can fly, was pumping in my ears, and all the flashbacks of my childhood, all the great moments, were going and playing through my head. I was feeling fantastic. I slowly realised that the snowboarder had faded away in front of me. The white hat had somehow just consumed him and I could no longer follow him. I had no idea where I was going. And in that moment when I I didn't realise and I couldn't see him any longer, I did this magnificent scorpion stack where my legs literally came over my head and my body twisted in ways that I didn't think my body could twist. And I landed face up looking at the sky and seeing the same five-year-old Swiss skiers pointing down at me on the ski lift, laughing their head off. Completely winded, I was left in the snow and I realised that after 35 minutes of breaststroking through snow to get back on the track, which I was 70 metres away from, that I was clearly not on the right path down the hill. That the guy I had been following was clearly not taking me to the destination I thought he was. And I had a very, very sad and cold lasagna for the end of my trip. And you see, what I did know about this guy was that he was a great snowboarder. But all I really was to this snowboarder was another snowboarder. Even if I could call myself that. 
all I really was to him was just this other person on the slope. He probably didn't even know I was following. He probably had no idea that I was blindly following him into this whiteout. He had no idea who I really was, and he had no reason to stop or slow down for me. And maybe it becomes clearer to know more than just about someone and know where they are taking you when you know who they are to you. See, it's actually no more than just about someone. You actually have to know who they are to you. If you want to follow them, then you have to know who you are to them. Because me following him, it meant nothing. Because I meant nothing to him. And maybe if you're someone who, who doesn't see themselves as a follower of Jesus, maybe you're someone that can actually look at, at these people that identify themselves as Christians, bombing down this slope and this whiteout or in this blizzard that is life, and they appear to be following this guy that they read about in a book. And it seems just to be taking them nowhere. And they've got no idea where they're heading and they look like they have no idea where they're going to end up or where it's going to take them. If you were here last week for part four and if you weren't, encourage you to jump on SoundCloud. Chris did an awesome message. We're looking at this idea that the answers to some of our questions at the time and, and the bigger of Christianity is this who. We need to know more than just about the who. We actually need to be willing to know the who. It's not enough just to know about them. We need to know this who. And if you haven't been here throughout the series, we've been saying that we can always go to any book any textbook, any how-to 101. We can pick it up, even if it's the Bible, and find some expected answers. But ultimately, unexpected answers actually come into things we encounter. We've been looking at this Jesus guy and how he actually encountered people and the unexpected answers that came with the conversation with him. Because surely, out of all the people in Jesus' life, you were to think about the people that he encountered and the conversations he had, out of all the people in his life, the people that would have known him best, must have been his hand-picked agents, his 12 disciples, a group of followers that were closest to him in his life, his dirty dozen. Surely they would have known him best over the three years that they followed him. They would have had known more than just about him, but known him. As we bring this series to a stop and kind of pull up, I want to pack, unpack with you this last conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. And it happened over this meal called the Passover. I just want to look at you tonight in this book of John, this eyewitness account, this conversation that happened between Jesus and his disciples and what he said. Because this is one of the last conversations he had with a group of people who had been following him around for a while. And the climax of this conversation actually starts off with an address by Jesus. See, Jesus knows he's going to die. He's, he's not going to beat around the bush. He's going to say the things most pressing on his heart. He's going to say the things that he wants his listeners to hear. And this is how he starts off his address. He doesn't start off by telling John that he burnt the stags. He doesn't start off by telling Simon Peter that once again he didn't screw the tomato sauce on the tomato sauce bottle properly and you get that little crusty bit of tomato sauce on top of the knob that nobody likes. He starts off with his address that is most important and sitting on his heart. The next day he will die. This is his last conversation with his disciples. And he turns to them John 13, and says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now, you could see that that as this was happening, that Jesus would have been setting off a couple of alarm bells with his disciples. There would have been a mixed bag of emotions going on in this conversation. Now, whenever you are following someone, follower of Jesus or not, whenever you are following someone in your life, you want to know where you're going to end up. 
And if you've been with this person for three years, following him on this path, waiting to see what this destination looks like, you definitely want to know where you're going to end up and how you're going to get there. And you see, within this conversation Jesus has with his disciples, there's these two pretty prominent responses. And the first comes from this guy called Thomas. Now, Thomas, he's a bit of a doubter. He needs to believe things to experience them. He's kind of like my poppy. I tell Pop, mate, in five years' time, electric cars are going to be the thing. Riley, I'll believe it when I see it. That's Thomas. Thomas is his doubter. So he asks Jesus and looks to him confused. He says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? How are we meant to keep following? How can we come if we don't know where you are heading? Jesus turns to Thomas. and He says, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know me and you have seen me. And one of his other disciples, our second response, is from this guy called Philip. Philip likes to ask the questions because he likes to know how to execute them. Philip turns to Jesus. He says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. He can show us God. That will be enough for us. Now, Thomas's question, it's, it's a good opening topic, but what Philip demands really is a pretty good ask. Maybe to ask that a lot of us would like to ask and have an answer to. I mean, if he was to be shown God, if you were to be shown God, if you were to be able to show God to your family, uh, someone at work, someone at uni, someone at school, someone in one of your sports teams, would that not be enough for them not to just know about God, as we were saying last week, but to know Him? Jesus turns to Philip and he answers with this. He says, Philip, don't you know me? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Philip, I've been with you for so long and you still don't know me. See, Jesus turns to his hand-picked agents, his squad of Avengers, his Charlie Angels, and he says, it is possible you know everything I taught to be feeding the hungry, to be looking after the sick. You're in my inner circle, Philip. And it's possible to know all this, but you don't know me. See, Jesus would have known that, that his disciples, anyone that turned to follow him, they would have been dealt with a great amount of persecution and opposition, even after his death. And this is something that would happen within the social-cultural context of the time when Jesus was around. And maybe we can see uh, the links to how we can approach God today from the societal view as well. Philip is asking Jesus, you need to give us something. We don't have everything we need. We don't have everything we need to stop us. We don't have everything we need for protection from others. We don't have everything we need from you yet. We still have questions. We still need answers. And maybe for Philip and Thomas, maybe for his disciples, maybe this news would have felt like how we feel when we become disconnected from someone in our life. Whether a mentor, whether a big-time sports player, a Darren Lockyer leaves NRL, a David Beckham leaves football, Matty J doesn't get picked by Georgia Love on The Bachelorette. I mean, what a joke. Why would you watch the show anymore if Matty J wasn't going to get picked? Maybe for you in your life, when someone like this becomes disconnected to you, 
a manager, someone from work that could just keep you sane, a friend from uni that leaves the course. And they were that one person that really kept you sane in the chaos of life or in the stresses you face, that one person that you could have access to and go to for times when you just needed a, a sense of peace. When we turn to someone, when we turn to a who as our answer and all of a sudden we're not in a position to follow them anymore, or be with them anymore, there has to be a feeling of what happens next. What happens now? So really, just looking at where this meal was heading, it's not looking super hopeful that Jesus and his disciples will really know him and be able to carry this message forward, this thing they've been working on for three years. But as we've said, he doesn't give Philip, he doesn't give Thomas and his disciples an expected answer. He reveals to his disciples what things will look like when he does go in a seemingly unexpected way. He answers this question of what will happen now. This is what he says. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. See, Jesus starts talking about this spirit of truth. And maybe when you hear the word spirit and you're someone that's not really into the whole Christian things yet, you're a little bit skeptical. Maybe that word is something that you heard back in the chapels at your school. Maybe it was Uh, Something you heard when you went to that church sometime or that guy at the sandwich board in the city came up to you and said when he was telling you to repent. Maybe this spirit word is something that's a bit odd to you. The spirit uh, is to be sent. It isn't some sort of divine energy. As we unpack it, it's not some zapper of conscious that pops in and out of your brain. He actually calls this spirit a him. He calls it a he. After I die, I will send a person to come to you. I'm not just leaving. That even though the world won't be able to see me, I will come for you. The spirit that he's talking about, he calls it an advocate. A legal word, sometimes used as an attorney for someone who represents you in court. And we've been looking at the root of what this advocate word actually means. We need to look at the Greek translation. And if you're someone who is Greek, if you've been to Greece, if you know Greek, if you like Greek yogurt, we're about to get Greeky freaky, so get ready. Because the word advocate in this Greek translation, in its verbal form, is actually parakaleo. Parakaleo. Kaleo in Greek actually means to direct or call someone. Or para actually means to to come alongside of them, to be sympathetic, to to support them. It's similar to uh, paramedic, to attend to their needs. Now you can probably see that we're wrestling with a certain tension to both words. Calling to direct someone... It almost seems forceful in a way. You're pointing them towards something, some type of goal, but at the same time, to actually come alongside someone, to actually have access to them, to support them. And if we were to unpack this word a little bit more, what this advocate could or does look like, not just within a legal sense, not within this sense that Jesus is talking about as as this spirit of truth, but advocates in your life who are there to defend your case. Even when you feel like you don't have a very good case to defend in the first place. Even at times when you, you feel like you just need that sense of justice or that, just, that little bit of a push 
forward. Because if you're a follower of Jesus or not, you might have someone in your life, someone in your sports team maybe, who is actually willing to argue with the ref and push down the opposition player that fouled you at the same time. You might even have someone at work that just gets what's going on. They understand the troubles you're having with other employees or or with your employer. You might have someone in your life, a close friend in your inner circle that you can go to. You might have someone in your family like me, maybe even a grandma that's willing to start a verbal argument with a policeman when you get pulled over on your else. Maybe you have someone in your life that is there and ready to defend your case when it needs to be defended. Maybe you have an advocate in your life, whether you know it or not. See, this promise that Jesus has of an advocate to disciples and the followers of him, the spirit of truth, the person that I'll send for you, Philip, when I leave, you can turn to him as your defense. You can turn to him as your defense of what is just in this world. This advocate I will send will be there to direct you to a life of of purpose and truth. So you don't have to point to the world and look for things to satisfy you. Things that just give you short rounds of satisfaction. But you can point to your advocate. When you feel like there's times and you're clouded by what uh, your expectations are or that bar of justice that just looks uh, like God, that looks like him looking down, that you feel like you're just falling short of it. Don't live in fear. So I will send this advocate so I can come to you. Jesus says, even when you are the victim or even when you're the accused, you're not going to be pointed back to these divine set of eyes looking down with certain judgment. But instead, this spirit of truth will finally show you and reveal what Jesus did for you. If you look to follow me, not just knowing about me, not just knowing all the answers, just come knowing why I came for you. Come knowing that I did come for you. So it continues in John 14, and it says, The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. Jesus says, I too will love them and show myself to them. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, these words that are actually written in this eyewitness account by this guy called John, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, these words are actually intended for you too. So ultimately, the disciples, they would have no idea what Jesus was going to do. You don't need to be in the best position. You don't need to be in this best circumstance of your life to have a relationship with him. It's no more than just about someone. You just have to know who you are in them. It's pretty natural uh, for us to assume that it would have been better to have lived a life during the time of Jesus. Uh, To believe this whole Christian thing, it would have been a lot easier to be around when he was walking around to be a part of the conversations that he had, to, to see the things that he did, the encounters that he had with these people. If I could Marty McFly it back to the time of Jesus, it would be a lot easier for me to understand him and know who he was. Because at least, at least, I could have expected some sort of answer. So we can assume that even as followers, we could have known him far greater through the eyes of the disciples the ears of the people that he talked to than what we know of him now. Knowing you had an advocate in someone who died on a cross for a relationship with you, someone who actually sent another advocate to call and direct you to a life 
of justice and a life of peace and hope, to know what he did and has done and what you are to him could actually put you in a better position to that of the disciples and that of those he encountered, to not just know about him, but to know him for what he did. Because this great advocate that died on the cross for a relationship, and then he sent another advocate to call you to this life of truth in a world that doesn't necessarily always point you towards truth. And if you're someone who is a, a follower of Jesus, if you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, I just want to pitch something out to you. We have this thing at Beyond called Four Monday because we believe what's the point in coming to church on Sunday if it's not going to change you, it's not going to impact you for Monday. If you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to point this towards you and challenge you with this. I want to challenge you just for this week to be intentionally attentive in your relationship with Jesus. How can you go about being intentionally attentive to your relationship with Jesus? I just want to challenge you just for this week. Just give yourself some space in the day. Just to document on a piece of paper. If you journal, go for a journal. If it's as easy as just whacking it in on your phone. To just document daily for just this week. One thing you know about him. Not just because you see yourself as a Christian. Not just because that's what other people tell you you are. Not just because that's what you identify yourself as. What is one thing you know about him because you're in relationship with him? What would it look like just to document daily, just for this week, what your relationship is like with Jesus and what you know about him because of it? And if you're someone who's still skeptical about this whole idea, this, this figure, it's fine, I can't pursue into anything. I just I want to leave something open to you as well. So I just want to challenge you. If you're looking for that potential first step, if you're looking for that starting point, the, the first ladder on the run, maybe you just want to suss it out or just give it a bit of a guy's look. You know how guys can stand like 20 meters away from something and just give it a head nod? If you're looking for just a guy's look this week, I want to pitch this to you. I've got a four Monday for you too. So I want to invite you to actually get to know, or at least have a conversation with someone who is a follower of Jesus. What would it look like for you to maybe just take that step by just getting to know someone who is a follower of Jesus? Maybe this person might be in the community here at Beyond. They might be outside of it. Maybe there's someone you can go to that you can have a conversation with. Just find out a little bit more. I want to invite you. If that's something you're interested in tonight, a couple of ways that you can connect in. We actually have a connect desk at the back with a bunch of people that love to talk you through what's going on here at the community at the church. If that's something you are keen on, we, we have this other thing going on called connect groups because we believe church just doesn't happen on a Sunday. It can happen throughout the week as well. And if you're looking for a community to touch base with, if you're looking for people that you can have access to, if you're looking for a conversation or, or an argument, if you're looking for answers and waiting for some type of uh, expectation or some type of expected answer. We have these things called connect groups that happen throughout the week. We actually come together and it might just be sharing a meal, it might just be talking through what's going on. I'd love to invite you just to find out what that could look like, even potentially what it could look like to step into it. If you're someone that maybe is still in school and maybe that's too big of a step for you, we have this thing called youth pumping through a Friday. It happens here at the church and it's just an environment just for young people to come and just be a part of something where they can belong. 
There's no Jesus stuff. There's nothing Christian studies that's, that's happening at school. It's just a place where people can come and simply have value added to them. If you have a young person in your life that you think might be interested in that, I strongly encourage you to go check in at our Connect desk at the back. Ultimately, if you're looking uh, to have this conversation, we, we duck out after the service tonight and we, we grab a feed, we grab a meal out at Laneway. I'd love to invite you along or even invite you back to next week. I encourage you in just taking a step towards, it, towards what it could look like take slow baby steps towards this relationship with Jesus and who this guy is. What it could look like, not to just know about him, but actually start getting to know him. Because if you're someone who is skeptical about following Jesus, or even as someone uh, who is following Jesus, if Jesus is who he says he is, and the things he did are true, he would have had to have done them all for more than the sake of just pointing people to a philosophy. What he did was true. It would have to be for more than the sake of just pointing people to a temple, to a good moral lifestyle, to pointing them to other people to compare, pointing them to a church or to a book, or pointing them to this story of an extremely detailed legacy about this historical figure. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, and if he did what he did. And if he says what is true is true, then he must have done it for something greater. Could he not have done it for the sake of a relationship with you? How can you just take steps? How can you go about just being intentionally attentive in knowing who this Jesus guy is to you? Because he came for our relationship. How can you go about not just knowing about him, but knowing him by knowing who you are in him. What unexpected answers might you find by taking the steps? We're going to pray now, and as we do that, I'd love to invite uh, the band back up. Lord, we just thank you that we can come together on a Sunday night, Lord, in community. Lord, this can be a place at time that even though we're sitting in rows, even though we don't always have access to each other, that, Lord, we can actually step outside of this building that is the church and know that the church is actually a community. Lord, in life, there's times we actually need access to people. There's times that others might need access to us, Lord. Thank you that there might be people in our life, Lord, that are there for us when we turn to the world, when we turn to the world looking at things like money, Lord, looking at temptations, things that might test us, when we turn to the world looking at our career and climbing the work ladder as that thing that will give us a meaning and a purpose in our life. Lord, when we turn to the world and we're disappointed by what's at the end of it, we don't get the fulfillment that we're actually looking for, that, Lord, we can actually start turning to who's. Lord, at times we need to turn to who, just to fix our problems, Lord, but actually to lean on as well just to lean on Lord or be a good counsellor, but actually call us and direct us to something greater, to come alongside of us and support us in where we're going. Lord, at times when we feel like we're venturing away from what we know is actually just, what we know is wrong, we know we can actually fall back on the advocate that you sent, Lord, the one you sent to come to us. Lord, I just pray 
this week, as we go to, to step forward and just intentionally take steps towards you, Lord, to understand more about this relationship, not just know about you, but know who you are by knowing what you came to do for us. Knowing who you are. You came for a relationship. Knowing you came because you saw something in us. We thank you that we can actually live in a life that's for justice, Lord. And a peace as well that doesn't need to be ignored. We thank you that we can live in a life where we can actually turn to others and add value to them. We can turn to others for relationship. And we can turn to you knowing that it's not judgment that's looking down. That it's not just missing the mark at times. Lord, we can turn to you knowing there is a relationship there. We can know you because we know what you are to us. Amen.